God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from Christ Place. Here's Pastor Rick Lorimer. This is the Advent season. If you're not familiar with that word Advent, it, it comes, from the, comes from Latin and, and literally just means arrival, coming, or breaking in. And so Christmas story is really the Advent of God. It's the hope, the hope of God coming to the world. It's, it's the inbreaking of God into human events in an unprecedented way. This weekend, we want to talk about the peace of God. And this is kind of a big deal because if we're not careful, what we see churches do many times is they, they, they peddle God or they create the peace of God as a commodity. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a part of a church that is just a consumer church. I want to be a church that that is literally loving God and glorifying God for who he is, not for what I can always get. Come on. And yet the peace of God is a blessing. It is a gift. But it's not the same kind of peace that sometimes you hear talked about here uh, in, in our secular culture. You know, for many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we feel like we're at peace if just the good outweighs the bad, right? For others of us, we've turned to self-help books and we look for the latest guru who can, who can teach us what it looks like to have mind over matter. And, and so we've kind of tried to find that kind of peace. But I, I want you to know that that's not the peace of God, that the peace of God is quite different. What does the peace of God look like? How does it get fleshed out in our lives? Because, man, we all have stuff. We're living in a world right now where social anxiety is at all time high. And, and, and quite honestly, man, that there's such a deficit of peace in our world, there's, there's a bankruptcy of mental health at epic levels. You know, if it's not social anxiety, it, it can be family crises or family conflicts during this holiday season, or maybe it's the financial stress you feel. But peace, what does the peace of God look like? So here's what I want to do. I want to go with you to Isaiah. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Yeah, we love the Bible. We love Scripture. We're going to jump down to verse 6. And a child will be born for us. I love that. Who for us? A son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom. And his government and shalom, where the peace of God will have unlimited, what? Growth. And he will establish David's throne and kingdom, and he will uphold it with justice and righteousness now and forever. And the Lord's armies is determined to do this. What I'd like to do in the next few minutes is share with you four reasons why God's peace is a game changer is a game changer. And if you have notes, write these down. I'd love for you to reflect on them during the week. But the truth is, one of these will probably capture your attention more than others, more than others. Now, I mentioned to you this was written six to 700 years before Christ. And I, you heard me say the word shalom. That's the Hebrew word for peace. The word shalom carries with it the, the idea that everything's intact, that there's wholeness, that you're complete. 
And for the Hebrew people to share shalom with someone was like the highest form of blessing. You're wanting them to be whole. You're wanting their life to feel complete and purposeful, shalom. And so that's the peace of God that they're referring to here. And um, the four things I'm going to give you, we're going to look at a little differently. And we're going to just go to these two verses. I think it speaks a lot about God's peace and why it's a game changer. And so here's the very first reason, you know, why I want you to understand that God's peace is is a game changer is that God's peace starts with a person. Look at that verse, Isaiah 9, verse 6. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of what? Peace, the Prince of Shalom. I like how Isaiah gives these titles to the Messiah, but they're more than just titles. They're descriptors. And here we see that Jesus himself will be royalty. He'll be an authority when it comes to peace. Come on, somebody. You see, peace is not, is, is not a, um, just an emotion. It's not just a state of mind. It's a person. And if you're going to understand the peace of God, it's always going to come back to the personhood of Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christ follower, then you've probably heard this before. God's character is not like any human's character. The best of men, the best of women in this house will fail you. The best men and women in this house or in the world have weaknesses, have character flaws. We, we sometimes go along with white lies. But I'm here to tell you, the Bible tells us this about God, that his character is unchanging. It's immutable. In other words, if God says something, he's going to do it. And if he says he's the prince of peace, then he's always the prince of peace. He doesn't ebb and flow with circumstances. He doesn't have this thing that does this. He is peace. And if you want peace, it starts with knowing the Prince of Peace and who he is. And he's not a man that he should lie. Now, when Isaiah wrote this, man, the children of Israel were in shambles. The whole northern tribes had just been exiled by Assyria. And so people are looking to mystics and political leaders to rise up. They felt incomplete as a nation. You look back at the, some of the elections we've had, and you could sense the, the, the division and, and, and the lack of peace that brought to us as a nation. Well, the Israelites, man, they had such ownership with their nationality because it was also part of their religion, and they worshiped God. And so they're wondering, where is God? Where is the peace of God? Some of you, you hear Christmas songs in this season, peace on earth and goodwill to men. And to you, it's a mockery because you don't see any peace. It isn't in your life. It sure isn't in the world. And this is what's going on in Israel at the time. And yet Isaiah, he's seen what we are now living in. He says, no, there is a prince of peace who's coming. So what are we learning about this? Well, it's something that you're going to hear if you're around here at Christ's place. It's it's something we've said before, but it needs to be revisited. And it's it's just a principle. If you really want to know what peace is, know this. That peace is not the absence of chaos. It's the presence of a person. We have a tendency to think peace is just the absence of crises and and chaos. No, it's the presence of a person. You got a crisis, you want Jesus to step in. Come on, somebody. Christian peace always comes back to Jesus. If peace is associated with a person, then it makes sense that we engage the person, right? And I'm here to tell you, if you really want to know what peace is, you, you got to go to the person who is the Prince of Peace. you got to be willing to exchange your lack and know that he's so good that he wants you to have his peace. Come on. And if you're a Christ follower, we know 
what I'm about to say, but we don't live like we know it. You see, if Christ is the source of peace, then what is our access to him? Well, it's, it's through a thing called prayer. We know this, but we don't have daily prayer times or we occasionally throw up maybe a prayer here or there. But if he's really the source of peace and, and we want to know his peace, then the key to accessing his peace is a thing called prayer. You know, in some ways, yes, it's a person, but it's, there's a path that we can step on. And that, that, that path involves prayer. I love what Paul said to the church in Philippi, chapter four, uh, verses six and seven. He said this, be anxious in nothing, nothing. Well, yeah, but pastor, you don't know about my marriage. Nothing. Yeah, but pastor, you don't know about my family. Nothing. Yeah, but you know about my financial situation. Nothing. Be anxious in nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your, your request to God and listen to this promise and the peace of God that transcends all understanding. That means it's gonna blow your mind. Transcends all understanding. Will guard your heart's and your mind and keep, keep your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. It will keep your mind complete, not fractured emotionally. It will keep your heart and your affections complete because he is your peace. And he wants you to experience it. And there are some of us here, you're thinking, man, I just don't know, man. I, if you knew me, pastor, you, you knew God, would, God wouldn't want me to have his peace. That's a lie. God's peace wants to bind up wounds of your heart. He wants to bring wholeness to your fractured thoughts and emotions. I love what we learned. I learned this in, actually, I've read this verse multiple times, but we memorized it in Every Man a Warrior, which is a men's Bible study. So good. It comes from John 16, 24. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, you know, until now, you have not asked anything in my name. But I'm telling you, starting today, ask in my name, and you will receive, and listen to this, your joy will be complete. You have but to ask the Prince of Peace to go to him because he's the Prince of Peace. And it comes from relationship. It's not a formula, it comes from relationship. So number one, what, what, what's this game-changing piece I'm talking about? Well, it comes in the form of a person. And here's, here's the second thing that makes God's peace a game-changer. Number two, God's peace is connected with God's unlimited, expanding kingdom. Look what Isaiah said in verse um, seven there. His government and peace, shalom, will have unlimited growth. Do you know as a Christ follower, you can grow in his peace? That is something he wants to unpack for you, that there's areas of your life, maybe there's specific areas in your life that you've kind of departmentalized, you've never let the peace of God invade. He wants to expand his kingdom there. Now, many read this passage, this part of the, of the text, and they're thinking of the second advent. You know, we talk about the hope of God. Well, as Christ followers, we, we recognize that Christ is coming again. Thank God he's already come, but guess what? Come, Lord Jesus, he's going, to be a, he's going to be a second appearing. And it's called the second advent. And at that point, God will establish a physical kingdom. And there will be no more war. There will be no more young men, no more young women going to war. And there'll be no more political conflicts. There'll be but one king and ruler, and he reigns. That's after the second advent. But until then, do you know God's kingdom is still expanding? Do you know that God is still growing his peace in his people, and the church is growing. And there's been a little bit of, a, I would say, um, there, there's been some hyperbole that somehow the church is in trouble. And I think here in the Western world, we see all the deconstruction going on, and we see maybe a, a moral failure of a pastor here or there, or we see 
how outlandish some, some celebrity pastors are and just people get disillusioned and they start deconstructing their faith. And, and I get all of that, but church, here's what you need to know. There are more people constructing their faith. There are more people reconstructing their faith. I was just talking to a young man last night. He was so excited about God in his life. I'm, God's kingdom is expanding. Jesus said that the very gates of hell would not stop his church from growing. Do you know that we're living in a time and age that there are more people living for Jesus than ever in the history of the world? That right now the gospel is growing. We have 2.4 billion people that profess Christ in the world. That's beautiful. His kingdom is expanding. There's no tyrannical uh, government, no, no certain social group, no organization, no political group. Uh, we're talking not even the church itself can keep Jesus from growing his kingdom or expanding his peace. And he takes it to places with great chaos. Do you know that right now that the southern hemisphere of our world's on fire for Jesus? We're seeing unprecedented growth. We're talking like numbing, mind-numbing numbers of growth in Asia and Africa and South America. It's beautiful. One of the greatest awakenings is taking place in Iran right now. Thousands of Iranians giving their lives to Jesus, all in an underground church. God is growing. And beautifully, this is kind of cool. Everybody just pinch yourself for a second. You still here? All right, yeah. Do you know that you and I are sitting in a place in human history where we get to actually see it? Isaiah could only dream of it. Tree, we're living in it. We're living in it. And we get a chance to experience it. And why is that important? Because God's reign and his rule continues. So here's a question I have for you. If his reign and rule is expanding and his government and his peace, his spiritual kingdom is growing and his peace is growing, how is his peace in your soul? Because if there's a lack of peace, it could be, and I'm not saying this is the issue, but it could be that you're wanting the kingdom but you're not submitting to the king. You want the kingdom peace, you just don't want the king to rule. And I'm wondering how much of our anxiety is tied to us refusing to choose to believe that he's still on the throne. See, that's the beauty of this, that his kingdom's expanding, is that you can trust, man, that, that, that he still rules and reigns. But here's the third thing we know. God's peace is fulfilled in a promise. God's peace is a promise fulfilled. Look what Isaiah says. He will establish David's throne and what? Kingdom. Do y'all remember David? Yeah, little David, man. He had brothers and stuff, and he's the guy that slayed Goliath. David's the one who was that shepherd boy who became king, and the whole process of becoming king, he just, he, you know, he wrote most of the Psalms. He was this warrior. He's a man's man. He's like a warrior poet. He could be in touch with his emotions and kill bad people. You know, the Bible says he was a, a man after God's own heart. And yet David has it is, had his issues. David murdered people. He had an affair. And yet God redeemed him and made a covenant with him. It's called the Davidic covenant. And he said, your dynasty will rule forever. Well, that, that got lost. Matter of fact, before you start reading the Gospels, the children of Israel hadn't heard from God for 400 years. Where's David's rule? At the time, Rome... Rome was leading the whole area of, of the Israelites. No one was on David's throne. So when you start reading the Gospels, you know that section that you'd like to skip over where it's all the begets? Where so-and-so begets so-and-so that begets so-and-so. It's all this lineage. You can't even pronounce the names. Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about? It's like, why in the world is Joseph and Prabaluba and Dubaduba and Shubba Shubba? I don't know. You know, it's like reading all these names. You're thinking, what? You know what that is? That's a resume. 
of God showing everyone that Jesus' lineage goes all the way back to King David, that God is fulfilling his promise that the throne of David would go on forever. Come on. Why is that a big deal? Because God always keeps his promises. It's a covenant promise that now we get to step in. How beautiful is that? God's illustrating to us that he always keeps his word. And now we get to enter into this this unconditional covenant. Those of us who believe upon his name, that he saved us, he rescued us, that yes, there's hope, but, but he also promises man as the prince of peace to help us begin to understand his peace. I love how Paul was trying to drive home the massive weight of credibility now we have in these promises of God. When he was talking to the church in Corinth, listen to what he said. Chapter one, verse 20. For all the promises of God in him, that's Jesus, are yes. And in him, amen, to the glory of God through who? Through us. Do you, you have that kind of weight that you can bring into your life. There are some of us, we are going through a horrendous time. There are some of us in the house right now, or maybe you're watching online and your body is breaking down. It's wreaking havoc on your hope. Your peace meter seems really low. And what I felt like God was wanting you to hear is that he promised he would never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise. Though your body right now is is trying to defy you, that your body is trying to reject you. I'm telling you, there's more to you than your body. Paul calls this but a tent that's wearing out. And I don't know about you, but someday, man, I'm going to get a new body. You know, the early church, they looked forward to that day. Here in our Western world, you know what we do? We put our heels in the ground and we, we fight it. I don't want to die. I don't. I'm not saying we, 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 we look for death, but, but what we had to look forward to is so much better than this. It's a shell. That's all it is. That's all it is. And, and the early church, like Paul said it this way, he said, to live is in Christ, yeah, but to die is gain. How could he have that kind of confidence? Because he, he understood the promises of God. And he also knew whether he was being beaten or shipwrecked or arrested or rejected by people he used to call his brothers, that God would never leave him nor forsake him. I don't know what you're going through right now, but there's some of you, you need to hear this. God wants to overwhelm what is overwhelming you. And that's the beautiful thing about peace. It's kind of like manna in the Old Testament. You know, there were Israelites that wanted to save up manna so they could use it the next day. That's kind of our nature, right? We just don't trust God, so we just try to save it up. Here's the thing about the supernatural peace of God is it doesn't arrive until you really need it. And, you, and then for some of you, you need to know, today God wants you to know his peace. Wants you to know his peace. No matter what craziness you're living through, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And here's the fourth observation we, we can learn from this passage we're looking at. That God's peace rules and reigns with justice and what? Righteousness. Look at what Isaiah says. And he will uphold it. What's it? This government and this peace of his. He will uphold it in justice and righteousness. Now listen, now and what? Forever. Folks, now is now, right? It's present. You check it out in the Hebrew or the Greek, it still means now. See, scripture, if I could simplify this sermon, if I was just doing a thematic sermon and not one walking through scripture, I would tell you that the peace of God is three Ps. It starts with a person. It's connected to his promises. And third thing is I would tell you, it's also a path. And what we see Isaiah pointing out here are two attributes of God that are extremely important to him, justice and righteousness. It's it's the path. 
It's not the only part of the path. Early church, you know what they call it? They call it the way of Jesus. It's his teachings. But this is a big deal, the justice. Do you know that the justice of God, it alone should free some of us up from all the rage and fear we have in our lives? The justice of God. See, here's, here's what we know about the justice of God, that, that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. There are some of you, as a pastor, let me tell you what I see rattle a lot of people's peace. It's their hurt. It's their anger. It's their bitterness. You're so afraid someone's going to get away with something that they've done to you, or you're so want to make someone pay the way they hurt you, or you stuffed it so deep you don't want to deal with the pain and the hurt because you don't feel like there's ever justice. For some of you, you hear those Christmas songs, it's all a mockery, but I'm here to tell you God is a just God and people that have hurt you or offended you, people have done unrighteousness to you, people that have sinned against you, I'm telling you someday, whether it's this life or the next, justice will be reigned. Judgment will come. But here's the deal. You need to get off the throne. You need to release that to God. God didn't create you to be a wrath bearer. God didn't create you to be this wrath dispenser. Yes, as a church, we want to work towards justice. I think that's one of the most beautiful things a church can do is work towards justice. But as an individual, many times what we have to work on is forgiveness and leaving judgment to God. But he's just. But it's not just justice, right? We have this new role. If, if God is the God of justice, what's our role? Well, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So God wants us to begin even this week, I believe, to step into that role. What does that look like for you in your family, in your workplace? So you say, I don't know. That's a great question to ask. And, and for you to be in the devotional with us, and for you to begin to pray about that, what does it look like? You see, we're not called to a ministry of cancellation. We're called to a ministry of reconciliation, a ministry of redemption. Corporately, we'll work towards justice, while individually, we'll work on reaching out and being those who share God's peace with others. But it's not just justice. It's also righteousness. So the best way to think about righteousness is to think about what's morally right. Now, hang with me for a second. Everybody just kind of hang with, we're almost, we're going to land this in a second. But this is where it gets a little bit hard for some of us. There is a moral beauty to God's design. There is a moral beauty to God's commands. There is a moral beauty when you begin to embrace his commands. And rather than being written on a piece of paper or on a stone, God writes them on your heart. And then you're not only fulfilling playing part of the Davidic covenant, but the Abrahamic covenant that said, man, God would, you'll be part of as many as the stars. And then the Mosaic, the, the, the Mosaic covenant, where he's, God's writing his law on your heart. There's something beautiful about God's moral code for our life. Unfortunately, we've swung the pendulum, rightly teaching grace while wrongly minimizing the call to righteousness. There was a time about 30 years ago when I first gave my life to Jesus, maybe it was even before that, um, when holiness and people talking about holiness began to legislate it for other people. It's called legalism. And people were trying to, you know, they, they, they really took on the role of a Pharisee in many ways. The problem with that is we as a people then kind of swung the pendulum and all we did is talk about grace. And so now if anybody calls anybody to some moral beauty of God's, we're somehow defined as being legalistic or we're somehow defined as being a church that, that maybe is walking outside of God's love. Can I tell you, if God loves you, then he has a plan for you. And it involves his moral, his moral code, his righteousness. 
And if Christ is in us and we have the hope and now we can have the peace, we can walk on this path. And, and I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying we're going to always be consistent. We're going to fall on our face at times. But I love what Micah said. Don't rejoice over me, my enemies. Though I fall and yet will I rise again. Because his mercies are new every, every day. But we have this path of righteousness. God reigns in justice and righteousness. And there's a moral beauty that he wants to conform in us. It's not based on your pastor's, you know, prudent, prudent, prudence. It's not based on someone else's looking down at you. It's not based on you looking better than someone else. It's based on God doing something in your soul when it comes to his righteousness. Quite honestly, we have presently, I believe, and I'm talking about our, our day and age with the Western church all across America, we as Christ followers have abused the grace of God by not being honest about our moral inconsistencies with what Christ taught Or what we've chosen to do is we've chosen to bend scriptures to justify how we want to live. And you need to know this. If you really want to know the peace of God, then you need to also stay on the path of God. And you need to be honest about your moral inconsistencies. See, when Christ followers live contrary to Jesus' righteousness, they step off the path of peace. It doesn't stop God from being a God of peace. It stops you from being a receiver of his peace. And it's as easy as just a prayer. It's as easy as you just being honest with yourself. They get back on that path of peace. It's what God wants for you. It's what he wants for your life. Now, there are some of us here, we're Christ followers, and if you're honest with yourself, that's where you're at. You, you know you're doing some things that, that don't please God. Go back to that Christmas passage in the New Testament. says, goodwill to men, peace on earth, to whom his favor rests. It rests on those who willingly submit to his path. And God's trying to do a work in some of us here. And I want you to have his peace like never before. That, that intangible peace that man overwhelms what's overwhelming you. You can have that. Because we have a good father. He wants you to have it. But some of us, we got to be honest about our inconsistencies right now. For those of us in the room right now, if you're really vulnerable, and I, and I know that's hard. Maybe you're, you're new here. But if you're just honest with yourself, you don't really have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you have a relationship with the idea of Jesus. You will never know peace until you know the Prince of Peace. And it really starts there. It starts with the person where you come to him and you acknowledge that you've fallen short. You know, God, what he, God wants to do, he wants to light something in you that no man can blow out. But it starts with you getting real about how distant you really have been from him. Whether you once gave your life to him, once were dedicated as a child, once were baptized as a child, that doesn't matter. Where are you now? are you right with him? And I would love to pray with you, but it means being brutally honest. And I'm telling you, when you begin that dialogue with him, he is faithful. And he says, if you will confess him with your mouth, man, he will rescue you. But you have to acknowledge that you've gone astray. You know, I don't have time to go there, but Luke, you read this sometime, especially during the Christmas season. Read Luke 1 and 2. That's kind of a big Christmas story. I want you to read Luke Verses 78 and 79, Zechariah is singing a song to God. His wife, Elizabeth, got pregnant later in years. And, um, and he just starts praising the Lord because she's carrying John the Baptist. And he says he's going to be a forerunner of the Messiah. And he says he's going to come into this world of darkness and bring light. And then listen, and he's going to teach us how to get on the path of peace. And right now, Jesus is trying to teach some of you where to start. And your first step on the path of peace is to give your life to Jesus. So I want to pray with you. I'm going to count to three and have you raise your hand. But first, I'm going to say everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. If you know you're far from God, let's get real. I can't think of a better 
Christmas, a better time than the Christmas season for you to give the gift of your life to Jesus Christ. So when I get the three, if that's you, you know you're not right with God, I want you to raise your hand. I'm just gonna pray with you right where you are. One, God loves you. Two, it's time to come home. Three, if that's you, shoot your hands up in the air really high, really high. Thank you. Put your hands down. And I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. It's not magic. What God is really attracted to is your vulnerabilities, your humility. Scriptures tell us God resists pride, but he gives grace, that's favor, to the humble. And so just be honest. And you own these words. So repeat these words after me, and I'm gonna have the whole church pray this prayer as well because I want those who raise their hands to hear themselves praying without feeling like you're listening, all right? Everybody pray this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to rescue me. I confess that I'm a sinner, but I'm asking today for your forgiveness. Come, Prince of Peace. Reside in my life. Teach me what it means to be a peacemaker, to be a bringer of peace, to speak shalom in my family, amongst my friends, in this world. I'm all yours, Lord. And God's people agreed and they said, amen. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Rick Lorimer from Christ Place. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.